we ask our audience, we make a deal with our audience, which is like, hey, come along with me, follow my rules, play along, and we'll, I'll lead you along. But if you come with me and play along, there's going to be a payoff for you. I'm going to give you something. You know, in a video game, it tends to be like gratification. It tends to be um, a, a sense of accomplishment. You know, magic, it's surprise and delight, a little bit of wonder, you know. But we make that deal with them, and, and we have to make that deal fast. And if, and if they trust us, they will come along. And if we pay them off for having spent their time with us, they'll, wanna, they'll, they'll appreciate it and they'll come back for more. Well, that was Randy Pitchford, founder of Gearbox Entertainment, uh, makers of Borderlands. I didn't realize that he... Worked on Duke Nukem all the way back in the late 90s. Uh, but that was Randy talking about his philosophy on uh, game design and entertainment. It was a great conversation that we had with Randy. Looking forward to sharing that. Yeah, it was. Yeah. So how's it going, Aaron? What's up? What's happening? It's going, it's going good. I was going to say we led into that because we were talking about magic. And, and it's going really good to answer your question. Because <laughs> I have I have two I have two points I want to tell you about because there's something that happened that I didn't t- I wanted to tell you yesterday, uh, but we didn't get a chance. I think we were like we we were really busy. But anyways, the first <laughs> the first thing I want to tell you is I bought I went on a shopping spree for indie games. I don't know if you've seen the library for that's on like it is you know I've only kind of been seeing it from like you know when you go to like the news sites and stuff. Yeah, but I was like, you know, I'm gonna buy some, and mm-hmm. my, and there's like a bunch of sales going on right now because of uh, I don't know why I don't know what's going on, but there's so many sales. So I went to GameStop. It was like buy one get one free. I got Octopath Traveler. Oh wait, 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 hold on, time out. What's that? Did did you go? You went to uh, the mall, like a to store, a brick and mortar. Yeah. Wow. What is it? I haven't been in a GameStop in forever. What's it like when you go in there? <laughs> they're so cool they're actually better now than they were 10 years ago i think like 10 years ago there was a lot of they're kind of like mtv remember when mtv was just music videos and then over time <laughs> they turned into like we, you know dude, hbo dated ourselves <laughs> big know, time. but it's like that they have like toys and clothes it's it's really entertaining i like that stuff and uh yeah Anyways, I went in there and I got two physical copies of these two games. I got one game I don't know if I'm going to play. It's like a Fire Emblem, like Warriors game or something. But I got it for 15 bucks, And then I got Octopath Traveler for free. Two. Ooh. The second one. Okay. Yeah, we yeah, were talking about that the other... I, you know, I didn't realize that was a Squeenix yeah. game um, until you were talking about uh, Triangle. Um, what were you talking about in, in uh, last week? Oh, yeah, yeah, Triangle Strategy. Yeah, 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 that game. Yeah. I haven't played it yet. That's in my Switch right now. Okay. I've been playing Hades. I, actually, I've been, I heard somebody talking about Stray the other day, and I, uh, I think I'm going to try Oh, Stray, yeah, I played that. That game is, that's a chill game. That's the kind of game yeah. people sit with you and watch you play. Because my, my daughters would watch me play that yeah, game. Yeah, you know, I, th- I, think, uh, I think Ivy would watch uh, or maybe even play Stray. Who doesn't like cats? Yeah, Come it's on. got a cool art style. Yeah, it get, it goes deeper than cats. I think it's. I didn't know what to expect. I thought it was going to just be cats, and then I was like, "Oh snap! This is this is more than I expected." <laughs> uh, it, and the other thing I was going to tell you, I bought so many games, man. There's anyways right now. There's good switch deals, and I was going to buy more after this call. Um, 
because I'm like, I'm doing the thing that people do on Steam, you know, like people that have like 3,000 games on Steam and from yeah. the Steam sales. You're, you're binging. <laughs> you're, like, you're just, you're just you're collecting. Binging. You're buying. You're, I'm never going to play I'm this, collecting. but I want it. Yeah. That's, that's no, good. I'm going to play all that's of good. these. I'm going to. I, I'm trying to create like a, a little thing where I like, if I beat the game, I can reward myself with something. So I'm creating my own little like RPG life. You know, speaking of um, Steam, we went, uh, this will this will take a little bit of warm up to get, get to the Steam reference, but um, we were on <laughs> spring break. I know. <laughs> we, were on sp- we were on spring break recently. And, um, you know, like when the kids in Hawaii, a week off in Hawaii, yes, we went, well, well, we, you know, we, when we moved to California, we had been to Hawaii once, you know, we moved to California and it's, it's not yeah, that it's far, far away. Yeah. And, and Hey, anybody who's looking for a place to just go chill. I mean, this is obvious, I suppose, but Hawaii is just amazing to just go chill. Um, so, you know, we made our, our annual, uh, journey out to the big Island. Um, and we go to the same place. Like, it's kind of like Airbnb, just super chill, low key. But uh, this year, when I walked in, it's like this place we stay is in a, it's on a resort. I walked in to get the keys, and I walk right into the welcome, the welcome area for the 2023 Val vacation. <laughs> so the hotel <laughs> on this resort was completely rented out by Valve. And it's actually, it was kind of cool awesome. because like there was probably like a quarter of the number of people that are usually there because it was just all Valvies. That's what we call it. I, I don't know if Valve oh, refers to themselves as Valvies, but the, we were referring to them all as Valvies. Uh, they were, you know, they were super nice. Um, and, uh, but that, that was weird. <laughs> that was weird. Valvicians. Dude, you should, you should have pretended like you worked there at Valve. Like, hey, it's, you know. Thought crossed my mind. Wanted to, codes. Go, wanted to go say hi to, <laughs> to Gabe, but you know what, we're... We were all on vacation, so I figured, mm, yeah, let's not do that. <laughs> what's uh, what's happening in the in the biz? Uh, you know, when I was on spring break, I usually I try to disconnect, you know, so I don't look at uh, too much news. But one thing mm-hmm. that I uh, I did see was uh, Scopely getting acquired by the Royal Saudi Family Fund, um, Savvy Entertainment for. What? I think it was five billion dollars. You didn't see that? Oh, you saw that. They got bought for five billion dollars. No, I didn't see that. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's insane. A, a big, wow. ma- a big major acquisition. Um, interesting times too, because you know there's been a lot of pressure on mobile business. You know, businesses that are doing free to play mobile games um, because of the the privacy rules that if uh, it's it's just basically caused that customer acquisition to get a lot more expensive um we certainly noticed that uh working on uh titles at scale at uh um at ea but uh i'm sure scopely has been working against those currents and um my guess is that this deal is going to help them diversify into other platforms as well but that's a big that is a big acquisition i think it's probably the biggest one in of the year uh you're still kind of young but you know, a lot of the leadership team over there came came from Disney when Disney got out of out of game. So, congrats to all of you over at Scopely. And um, yeah, that's crazy. interesting. That's times. awesome. Yeah, five billion. Like what? That's a lot of money. And I wonder if when you say diversify into other platforms, what do you mean beyond mobile? Like 
Nintendo Switch? Sure. Why not? Beyond mobile. Yeah. Why yeah. not? Why not? PC, Web3. Well, I mean, historically, mobile had been has been a, like a pioneering platform for free-to-play and, and service-based games. And we're, we've been seeing that business model become successful on all platforms now. So Scopely certainly has a lot of expertise there. Has mobile peaked? Peaked? Has mobile Maybe. peaked? I don't know. Yeah, like is mobile like, all right, this is... There is kind of like a weird like edge, right? Where it's like, and and you you and I when we were working on the first game at Industrial Toys, we we recognize that edge where there's like a a point where players don't want at least at that time frame. I don't know if it's it might be a little different now, but where the mobile game becomes too much of a console game and players lose interest, or you know what I'm saying, or it's or it's too you know what I'm saying, like it's too web browsery type thing you know so there's like this weird uh yeah the, like I mean, line the, the, the way yeah the way players use those devices is is different you know so some players will and actually that's evolved too is the i think we talked about screen time usage recently but that for me personally but the amount of time that i spend per day on my phone as a device has uh increased over time took a step jump up during the pandemic and it sort of never looked back as as uh you know did you say wait, applications decreased the, or increased 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 significant you use your phone yeah. more now and you're connected Way to it by your more. by your watch sure so not if, helping okay not helping right <laughs> so here's the question here's the question let's say let's say so you're you're a cyborg now right like you're officially a cyborg you're you're uh, loosely 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 this Come thing on. is it's, on me it's not in me it's on me <laughs> not yet and that was what was going to be the next question what if we could put it in you and you never have to fuck worry no. about <laughs> fuck, fuck no. that's the next step that's the yeah next well step. you know well all right you, you, you to put, put a little bit of nuance on that question because the you know the most public company that's working on uh, the human computer interface is one of elon musk's enterprises so if, oh yeah if, What's if the question really is hey are you gonna would you go would you get it into one of elon musk's devices sure i, I would drive a tesla would you would you implant one of them? Oh, no, <laughs> would come you on. let the device in? <laughs> yeah, because you can't take not. it off. You can't turn it off. It's like that's what we were talking. That was what we talked about recently. Was that? Well, I mean, and that's that's sort of like the ultimate hacking nightmare. Like I actually have had uh, <laughs> panic attacks about the Tesla network getting hacked because, I mean, you you go online and watch videos of the diagnostics that are even available to service technicians uh, for the car. Software controls everything in that vehicle. So when that network does get hacked, uh, somebody will be able to floor, floor it, every car, just floor it and turn right, you know, flip every car over it. You know, what are there? There's a couple million Teslas out on the highway. That's insane. Yeah. I sure hope their security is like airtight. But imagine if that sort of exposure was your body. Oh, it's going there, dude. Yeah, no thanks. Like it's going to be well the thing is is the hacking is going to get so so and intense. Maybe I'm happy that that's going to be not my generation. It'll be the next generation. Well, hold on. What's yeah, it's going to be your kids. But listen, the, the it's going to get to that point because eventually your 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 genome, I guess, is what's going to be like your identifier. It's going to be your like new social security number. Because everything's going digital. Money's going to be digital soon. Uh, all of our entertainment, people are collecting stuff digitally now, right? Like 
what is the safest way to store it? It's your DNA because nobody else has that. It's the most unique thing in the world. And somehow they're going to tie unless, those two Unless you have a twin. Words. Yeah, there's a sci-fi story. No, then you don't twins, have to say that's twins, not true. Uh, scanning the <laughs> genome identifier. All right. Well, that that's pretty deep. That's a that's a whole TED talk right there. That's, but we're really really fortunate to have uh, Randy join us for a conversation the other day. Let's roll that conversation now. Let's do it. Oh boy! Today's a treat, everyone. We have with us Randy Pitchford, the founder of Gearbox Entertainment. Randy's career spans over twenty five years, back to the nineties, with the Duke Nukem team. His company, Gearbox, has worked on huge franchises like Half-Life and Halo, hey, my favorite, and created smash hits like Brothers in Arms and Borderlands. Borderlands, oh my gosh. Randy has also made some shrewd acquisitions, including Homeworld, and check this out full circle, Duke Nukem himself. In addition to being a video game wizard, Randy is also a professional magician. Nobody gets more interesting than this. Randy, so great to see you, and welcome to the program. Hey, thanks for having me, Alex. It's good to see you too, buddy. It's good. You know, check out what I'm wearing. Do you, do you recognize this? Yeah, Club 33, baby. <laughs> do, you, do, you, do you remember we went out there to, to dinner back yeah, in my Disney I, days? That was awesome. Yeah, what a great night. That was uh, a long memory. <laughs> of that. That, that was actually uh, like that, that, that tour of the, of the Burbank studio was pretty cool. You know, like I'd, I'd, I'd been in there before, but I never really talked to any of the people working there. So that was, that was really cool. Yeah. For our listeners, um, when I was at Disney, I tried very hard to do a project with Randy. I think we got close. Uh, and then, um, we had some ideas. <laughs> we had some ideas and actually, you know, it's funny because we were talking about, I think we were talking about space mountain. It was space mountain, right? Right? Yeah. I think we were talking about Space Mountain, and you had you, you had gone because I didn't have an idea of what that game would be, but you had gone come up with some ideas and you came and pitched me. I don't know how long you thought about those ideas, but they blew me away. Um, <laughs> basically, F, F, like FPS plus another genre together, which which is sort of for is, Space Mountain. Yeah, is that sort of like how Borderlands came to be? It's like genre. <laughs> Oh, it's Space Mountain. Not no, not not inspired by our conversation about Space Mountain, but I would take credit. If, <laughs> oh, if credit was oh coming, you but. know, I I think there's a lot of uh, fun to be had there by by taking things we love and mixing them together and see what happens. You know, I, I want to get some chocolate in your peanut butter and <laughs> see if we can make a peanut butter cup. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, that was fun did, though. That was a good time. Yeah, it was. What happened to that game? The Space Mountain game. Why didn't it go through? I wonder. You know, you'd think that you'd think it's it's due, right? Disney successfully developed Pirates of the Caribbean. Uh, they've had some attempts at Haunted Mansion, and they recently took a swing at Jungle Cruise. We we haven't seen the Space Mountain. Uh, haven't seen the Space Mountain movie or exploitation yet on in any medium except for in the parks. That's right. That's right. They do. It's due. It's right. It's due. Yeah. <laughs> it's Mountain Dew. It's Space Mountain. Space Mountain Dew. <laughs> Space Mountain Dew. So wait, what happened with the game? Y'all didn't like you, you pitched the game, and then there was like yes, no, maybe so. Or I honestly don't remember. I think I think we were a victim of timing. Yeah. Well, 
I'll tell you, Randy, I'll tell you what, after you and I were talking, we ended up uh, doing a prototype with a different developer. Um, yeah, okay. And uh, the se- second choice, you were, for, you were first <laughs> choice. Our second choice. <laughs> we, couldn't afford e- we couldn't afford each other. I think we couldn't afford each other. And ultimately, I think uh, other, other projects got in the Disney way. Disney and Gearbox were already too... Too big for each other. So when what what so after that was it it was Borderlands going and like where did Aliens come in? When, when what year when, what year was were those conversations, Alex? I'm so lost. That would have been con- yeah. That would I think that would have been like maybe 2010. Yeah. So it, it, that that was after Borderlands launched. Yeah. 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 After Borderlands. So yeah. we would have had we would have just been acquiring Duke Nukem. We'd have been already in development with aliens for a couple of years. We would have launched borderlands already. We would have launched brothers in arms. We'd be working on borderlands too. I remember when you got the Duke Nukem, you did that video, <laughs> that, that video where you, you were telling everyone that you got it. It was awesome. <laughs> it's like, well, it's going to come. Yeah. You did it like in your studio, like in your lobby. Oh right? shit! I don't. Yeah, I, I guess. I guess. I, I mean, that sounds like I did something I would do. <laughs> I don't remember. I have to go back and remember. I am so, my brain is like more and more just. It's like I feel like I feel like uh, Keanu Reeves and like Johnny Mnemonic, where I'm just like da- deleting my past so that I have deleting. <laughs> Well, well, I remember it. It was a cool video. It showed up, and everyone's like, "What Duke Nukem's gonna happen? This is so cool!" Yeah, it was like a hey, this. It was like a trailer of you just telling everyone you got it. How, how did that? Uh, awesome. How did that come to be? Crazy thing, you know. So, so George and Scott were running 3D Realms, and you know, I'd left 3D Realms in '97, 1997. We shipped Duke Nukem 3D in '96, you know. And I left in '97, in like the like first half, Very first half game. of '97, and you know was doing my own thing. And those guys were working on Duke Nukem forever, the entire time, the entire time. And then I and then in uh, I think it took them a decade to run out of money. Uh, and then they they closed, they they laid everybody off and closed their doors. And uh, and immediately Take Two sued them because they had the publishing rights to Duke Nukem Forever. It's like, you can't just, like, stop. Like, you got to call us and we got to work something out. We have money on this. That we, You know, they, they bought the... So they sued them. So they were going to be on the hook for a lot. And, uh, you know, they, they called me and, and asked me to help them out. And it was weird, man. It's like, I didn't... I had to do it. You know, it was a mess, but, you know, I... Imagine you're, um, here, here's the story I tell. It's like the best analogy. Imagine you're driving down the road and, uh, and you see uh, in front of you, uh, there's a, a car that's crashed off the side of the road and it's on fire and there's people bleeding. Like, do you keep driving or do you stop and help them? Eh, some people might keep mm. driving, but listen. <laughs> some people be- but, but Randy pulls over. Yeah. yeah, no, 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 no. Let's go further. <laughs> now imagine you're in the middle of the desert and there's no cars for for 50 miles in any direction. And it's the middle of the night. Okay. Now imagine uh, you're not driving a car when you see this. You're driving an ambulance. And you also have a, a tow truck with you. And you have mechanics. And you have doctors. And, and have all the uh-huh. tools you need. Right? Oh, also... The, yeah. You recognize the fucking car. It's your old boss. 
<laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's like yeah, it's, yeah. it's your long, it's your it's, it's your it's your it's your best friend at your first job that's in the car. You know, it's like yeah. I, so yeah, you didn't have a choice. You didn't have a choice. Nukem was my first commercial product. You know, it was like I had to I had to pull over. Yeah, you know? it is a really yeah. crazy full circle story. What was it like working at 3D Realms back in the day? Was Duke, was Duke Nukem? Did you work on other games there, or was it just Duke Nukem, or what? Yeah, yeah, I worked on Shadow Warrior. Um, Shadow yeah. Warrior, I love that yeah. game. That game is so I did, good. I did half the levels in the shareware. Uh, I, really? Yeah, I left 3D Realms, dude. I didn't know that. Yeah, I, I left 3D Realms after we launched the shareware, but before retail launched, because um, that came after. 3D, and I, you know, I, I beta tested a lot of the things there, um, helped out with some other stuff. But the big, the big work was uh, with Duke Nukem and Shadow Warrior. Those are the two big, big gigs I did. Um, and it was, it was the trip, dude. It was game development in the '90s. You know what I'm talking about, Alex? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I mean, we had, we had fold-out desks. You know, we we we, sh- we we didn't even have an internet connection when I when I started. <laughs> I remember the day we got the ISDN line. It was like, oh, one computer in the whole office had, had, had the ISDN. <laughs> our our network was a coaxial network, Alex. So if, one oh computer, if one computer went down, the whole network went down. It was it was like it was like a string of Christmas tree lights. It was crazy. Yeah. How many people were in the studio? How, like, how many people there? And I assume it was all white, young guys, I'm guessing. Is that what are you right? talking about? So much diversity. <laughs> it's so diverse. Uh, there, was like a do- there was like a dozen of us, about yeah, pro- like okay. 10 to 15 in total in the whole company, yeah. which was I thought was and a it- lot at the time. I was like, yeah, man, this yeah. is a big deal. Because before that, all my shit was solo effort amateur stuff you know i was just i was just yeah. uploading shit to bulletin boards copy serve and shit you know boards, yeah. <laughs> that was like it's my a... first professional gig was working there and i was like whoa there's like people can get together and do things before i went to take before i took that job you know because I, I was making like tools and text adventures and using other kind of tools on that i found on on vbs's and stuff and you know when i thought about like to me like when I was growing up and learning that shit, like video games were like the arcade cabinets, you know, like, like a Donkey yep. Kong cabinet or something. And it's like, how, how does yeah. that get made? Like, that's like, <laughs> it's an impossible, like when I'm a young mind, it's like, man, it's like, there's gotta be some magical place somewhere. And they've got a chocolate river and Oompa Loompas and a video game cabinet. Pops out, <laughs> pops out on the other end, yeah. you know? <laughs> and it just seemed like an impossible thing. You know, when I show up at 3D realms, it's like, Oh, People do shit, and I have my skills. Other people have their skills, and we get a bunch of specialists together and organize, and we can we can make stuff that better than any one of us can make alone. And teamwork is how it happens. Yeah. And it was like yeah. the, the whole light bulb went off. And then I saw the Matrix. <laughs> <After that. laughs> That's awesome. I I uh, similarly I I would look at the um, we had a twenty six hundred. I would look at the cartridges. And I'd be like, yeah, how does this, there's got to be like, there's a clean room factory somewhere with machines that are just like stamping these yeah. games out. It's like, it's like, yeah. No idea. You know, what's funny is um, my girlfriend, my girlfriend uh, in the nineties who became my wife, Christy, um, she, uh, we, we, like, it took me a minute before I, I let her know that I was a nerd, you know? And then when I finally <laughs> kind of broke the ice, she's like, oh, we, we have video games. We had we had Atari and I'm like, Oh cool. Like, and I showed her my, some of my games and she's like, what the, what is this? I'm like, well, this is, Atari, these are Atari, it's Atari, Atari games. No, 
she described what she had. She had a wooden box that you'd open up and there was a, a foam, a, a layer of foam and pressed into the foam were these, these little microchips with these prongs. There were EPROMs on foam that she would take the EPROM <laughs> and insert it into a, a socket on a cartridge. And then and it was just, the cartridge wasn't a cartridge. It was just a raw board with a socket on it. Her dad was a fucking pirate. What? He was flashing his own EPROM. <laughs> he was flashing EPROMs. Oh and they had, they had, That's they amazing. That's crazy. On a piece of foam in a wooden box with a single... Yeah. Oh my with a single goodness. socket board as a cartridge, and you take the, the cartridge, the socket board out, remove the EEPROM, put the other EEPROM in, <laughs> a little piece of tape with a Sharpie written label, which game it was. That's that's what she believed oh video game cartridges were. Yes. Well, so Ra- Randy, <laughs> that was, a hacker was that was that love it at first bite? B Y T E. Yeah. And I was like, <laughs> okay, okay, we can, we can do this. So yeah, we, we're still together. We were high school. That's awesome. Hard. That's <laughs> did you did you grow up with? Um, all right, so your wife grew up with a hacker dad. Did you grow up with? Yeah. Uh, you grew up. I, I think I've read, <laughs> and I think you've told me you you grew up in a in a mat in a literally a magical house. Um, yeah. Was technology no, my, my part of that was, too, or? My dad was a super nerd hacker, like crazy. Like the my, the my first computer that was mine, he built me. And when I say built me, it wasn't like a kit. Like out in the workshop, you know made made his own circuit board like wrote his own bios like wow. the mother like motherboard he That's engineered cool. he wow. um yeah he was a he was a spook um he 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 worked for the predecessor of the nsa uh and and he would do gadgets and shit for the for the uh for military intelligence and i'm pretty sure like the 007 i'm guy. pretty freaking sure he made the wiretaps and watered it in watergate i'm pretty sure that that was a <laughs> Yeah, really? and then when wow. my parents, were, it's like cute. Yeah, my dad, my parents were divorced when I was five, and so he, we were. I, I was born in Fairfax, Virginia, and we lived in the you know Beltway around Washington D.C. And when I was five years old, he said, "Fuck it," and you know, my mom left him, and uh, he took me, and we moved to California, and then he became a Disney Imagineer. That's that's incredible. Yeah, wow. and we always had we always had gadgets around the that house. That is incredible. He would build stuff. NSA to Disney. Yeah. Yeah, and then after, like, he did that for a long time, and then uh, one year he decided he wanted to produce country records, so we moved to Nashville, Tennessee, and he did that for a year, and he did it. And then uh, and then we moved to the Central Coast, and he worked at Vandenberg Air Force Base doing telemetry systems for the uh, the space shuttle and for the Minutemen missiles and stuff. And then uh, and then he moved up to, to Portland and was part of a startup called Flight Dynamics, and they made the holographic head-up displays that are in all the airplanes. Back at the beginning, I think they just sold them to the military, but now they're in every commercial aircraft has these holographic head-up displays that can simulate the environment if you have zero visibility. Rockwell Collins are buying their oh, company. Cool. They, they, they did, a, they did a, a, a nice merger there. and Yeah, it's funny. Every time I fly, I'm like, yep, there's my dad's shit in the cockpit. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Awesome. Hope it hope it still works. <laughs> yeah, he was awesome. he was so more he, of a hardware guy than a software guy, which is I think why I became a software guy. Um, and it was okay. uh, yeah, 
he used to give me shit too because like he had this this portable computer and back then you know it was a cpm based machine that was the size of a heavy fucking suitcase i don't know if you remember those guys where like the keyboard yep. would snap off the front and there'd be this yep. you know yep. this amber yes. crt monitor and a couple five and a quarter drives and you know i think the whole thing had 16k ram and uh, uh, and I was just you know writing programs trying to simulate Dungeons and Dragons, <laughs> and, so, and he'd go That's to work awesome. and I'd take and he'd take his luggage laptop you know it's, it's called a portable computer it's like a heavy piece of luggage <laughs> and uh, and my and I'd leave my floppy disks in there and his so he'd boot the thing up and it would boot to my programs <laughs> and he'd come home and be like dude I'm like my work was where, where's my work disk come on what are you doing. <laughs> So that's, that's why that's why he built my own computer for me. I think so. I would stop using his his machines. I, I got a question for you. What did he do as an Imagineer? Is there still anything at the um, park? Yeah, he was he, he was involved in like the early trackless stuff. Like now, every, all the new shit is all the trackless rides. So like control systems and and some of the engineering on the on how the um, the, the the positioning would work and how the how the the system understood where the car was and how the car knew where it was. Oh, um, cause all the, all the trackless stuff is like, I, I think it's electrical, but it might, there might be some magnetism involved. I, I don't know, but he was into that shit. Mm-hmm. Like he, it, he, he was always inventing. My dad was like constantly inventing weird shit. Like our garage workshop was just, it was, I, I mean, I couldn't even explain some of this stuff. We had a, we had a, we had a projection <laughs> television screen before anyone did. Cause he made one. He just like designed it. That's awesome. <laughs> wow. Yeah. The, the, somebody should do a documentary here. That sounds like uh, <laughs> oh, pretty God. amazing. The Pitchford <laughs> yeah. Family. Yes. It could be a yeah. show. It could be like a HBO show, The Pitchford uh, Family. No, no one wants any of that. Just give us the, give us the result. <laughs> work your ass off and give me the result. That's all people want. They just want the, they want the, they want the product. They don't, want, they don't want to know yeah. about me. They want to keep me behind the scenes where I belong. Nobody needs to know. <laughs> well, how so? How so? You left 3D Realms uh, in? Did you say ninety? I left in ninety seven. Yeah, ninety seven. Yeah. And is that when you started Gearbox? No, I, I joined this other dude um, that was fired from 3D Realms, kind of Billy Zelznak, who's a genius. Um, and I, he he started a company uh, when when 3D, when they fired him um, from 3D Realms, they called him a rebel. Uh, and they called him a boat rocker, and so he named his company Rebel Boat Rocker. And uh, very good. And there was, it was all it was all X three D Realms guys. Like it was so amazing how good George and Scott were at recruiting talent, and it was astonishing at how poor they were at keeping them. I mean, they they brought id software to Dallas, you know, to work. Like right. I, I was, you know, Tom Hall and I shared an office, you know, like and. You know, I my I I moved into the La Prada apartments and like Carmack is like four doors down from me, you know. Um and, and all that all those guys like awesome. went to to, to Apogee, right, to three realms and or Apogee, I guess, was the parent label and you know, because Scott and George were good at recruiting and, and they would do amazing things and then it wouldn't take long before people would branch out and do their own thing. So so Billy, when he was fired, he did his own startup and I joined him. And I, I was the, the game designer, and, and I did a lot of the business development. So I helped him get a deal with Electronic Arts to uh, to make this game called Prax War, which strangely was was Halo. But you guys were way better than that. 
and you had way more. But it was the same kind of stuff, you know. Hey, we're gonna have vehicles, and you know, we built the whole world out of arbitrary polygons, and um, uh, it was a pretty cool engine that Billy had with some like physics simulation, and you know, it was, and then once once Halo happened, like, well, I guess I guess we don't need to make this game now. <laughs> oh no! Uh, EA canceled us after about eighteen months. Hey, I, I, I feel I feel you on that one right there. I feel you. Yeah, on that. Billy was a genius, <laughs> but uh, but he was a tinkerer. He wasn't. He's yeah. not an entertainer. He didn't really. I don't know if he ever cared if software ever came out. He just liked working on it. You know what I mean? And uh, yeah. he was a damn genius. He he uh, he he came up with the lighting model. You know, there's a famous story at GDC where you know he he does a talk there. This is like or CGDC back when there was like 40 people, and um, uh, shows off this this dynamic lighting engine and explains how he did it. And then Carmack goes to his hotel room and stays up all night and codes it into Quake and then brings it to to the to the next day to the group and says, "Yeah, Billy's right. It works. Here it is." <laughs> That's why Billy has the credit as a special thanks in the Quake credits. But he was a genius. I mean, really? He made a physics solver and he rewrote the lighting engine six times for our engine. It was fucking each. The first time was amazing. Each time he rewrote it was just even more miraculous. But he was a tinkerer, so like we never yeah. really had any functioning tools or, or, or gameplay engineering that, that that we could rely upon to to make games. Oh, and he didn't want me to hire anybody to, that that would touch the code. He didn't want to let anybody else write any code, so that was really that was really tricky. But um, yeah. but we, we got we got canceled, and then um, Billy and his brother Jason kind of went their way, and everybody else came with me when I founded Gearbox. Okay, so so that was so. Was that like right around two thousand? January of ninety nine. Ninety nine. Okay. January of ninety nine. Right on. We shut down Robo Boat Rocker in December of ninety eight, and I I was I immediately started Gearbox in January of ninety nine. I spent um, most of the December just talking to everybody in the industry to see, um, you know, because I'm like, oh, I need a job, and I kind of I interviewed with everybody, and I got a million job offers, but I kind of. I was I was still a punk kid and super cocky. I just sort of decided everybody was an idiot and I could do it better myself. So, fuck <laughs> it. I'm not going to work for the man. I'm going to just I'm going to figure this out. And I, so. <laughs> Does that ever go away? <laughs> at, first, at first, I felt yeah, I don't know. I don't think so. I, I at first I felt bad because I talked to all the guys I liked that I worked with to join me when they all had like great job offers too, and they could have all been like you know. It's, you know what's 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 the highest risk thing you could do? You know, do a video game startup. What's the second highest? Oh, most high, it's like doing another one after your first one fails. You know, <laughs> <laughs> but it worked out okay. It worked out okay. Yeah, okay. I, I would say it worked out okay. Isn't right that now. like that's like yeah, that's like that picture though, where it's like the road to success, and it's like fail, yeah, fail, yeah. fail, uh, fail, fail, and then it's I'm, like I'm, success. I mean, my story is definitely a testimony to that. So. I'm still failing. Well, I don't know. Duke Nukem at the start. <laughs> I always benefit from failure. Like there's all you. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it. it's good. It's good to have some dynamic range in your in your output because it makes <laughs> yeah, the victories good, yeah. uh, all the more all the yeah. more sweeter. But so I remember, Randy. I remember when I first met you. I John Kimmich came into my office yeah. and said, "Hey, we got to figure out. We committed Halo to the PC. We got to figure out how we're going to do this." And he brought me down to the cafeteria at at Millennium uh, in the Millennium campus uh, in Redmond 
and yeah. and that's where we met and we talked about Halo that's right. PC. You, re- those, you remember that? All those, uh, all those virtual world pods that Kimmich bought from uh, <laughs> yeah from FASA. That that's covered, right. Yeah, covered in uh, tarps, just sitting <laughs> in the corner of the, the cafeteria. Oh my God! What was that? Was that two thousand one or two? I yeah, that must have been. Yeah, probably end of two thousand one. I'm guessing it was right yeah. in that time. Yeah. 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 Holy shit, dude. We've known each other for over 20 years, Alex. <laughs> you guys should hug. That's amazing. <laughs> nah. Look look at your hair, Randy. You've got the most beautiful hair. Yeah. So do I. And yeah. I mean, Aaron's the youngest one here. So look at this. I'm one, I'm one of the Beatles. I'm the fifth Beatle. Yeah. <laughs> should sell some That's of that. Awesome. This, is, this is what happens when I don't put product in my hair. I just like took a shower and, you know, it's, it's, I hate it. Yeah. I hate my I, hair I, so I first much. got oh, on, I had, a, I had a hat on because I needed to tame. I needed yeah. to tame. So I, that's what I do. I just put a hat on and then, I like you know. Guys, I'm right here. Like I'm right you know, here. That's what's so funny. Right? <laughs> like, I, I feel like such a dick sometimes, but it's like it doesn't matter what we have going on. I hate like I think all of us hate whatever we have going on and we're just – like, <laughs> yeah, that's true. No, I'm like, God, I wish I could just. I just want to fucking shave it all off, and then I know if I didn't have it, I'd be like, fuck, I hate being bald. Like, it's it's. Like, <laughs> yeah. like, what's wrong with? I like, can't be content. It's like, what's wrong with, yeah. what's wrong with us as a species? I think we all have this problem, yeah. right? It's yeah, it's so hard being beautiful. <laughs> I, yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm a nerd, dude. i'm a nerd dude that should be the title of the podcast i'm a nerd dude so where are you right now i'm in gearbox hq in frisco texas i'm in one of our uh, breakout okay we kind of like different people kind of dress their rooms this one uh one of my partners made he calls it the woodshed so it's got like like tools on the wall and because he likes the joke like you better behave, or I'm going to take you out to the woodshed. Yeah, but you don't want to, <laughs> you don't you don't want to be in that meeting. Uh-uh. Are are you still collecting like video game memorabilia stuff? I remember you had a room in your office when I came to visit so that, where you had like every little handheld console stuff. That yeah. was my personal. That was just all the consoles that I grew up with. Like those are just those those are just mine. So I just I I went to Home Depot and I bought like like pipe fittings and I like made those little, I made these stands that look kind of cool out of pipe fittings. And I just Velcroed the, the consoles to the pipe fittings and put them all up on a shelf. So it looked like a museum and um, it was pretty cool. And then uh, when the national video game museum moved to Frisco, Texas, I just, I gave them all my stuff. I just donated all my stuff to the, oh, to the collector. That's cool. Oh, that's cool. So, I haven't been there. I yeah, so they actually had a recreation of my office in the museum for about a year. Really, yeah. I'm like, why did like I, I was so embarrassed. They had a, a standy cut out of me, and I was like, it was so embarrassing. I was like, Dude. I, like I told him, come on, you got to take this down. This is embarrassing. You uh, should have, you should have gone over there and like taken a few calls out of your museum office. Yeah, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just, you work from your, That's you awesome. Work from the museum today. I'm taking my have kids people there. Have, have, visit, have, have my have my uh, meetings come take me take me. So it's not there anymore. Yeah. No, I, I don't know what to do. It's it. not the museum's there, but my my office isn't. 
They've got all my stuff. I think they're working on. Uh, they're, they have ambitions to do a larger facility, so maybe maybe it'll come back when they get more score footage. Who knows? Can I, can I say something before we move on to the next thing? I, I wanted to slip it in earlier. I've been to your studio. Oh, cool! And I have to say, you have the best snack like <laughs> options I've ever seen anywhere. <laughs> There's this thing they have- about they call it the Gearbox Ten when people join the company. Um, oh right yeah it was like crazy yeah. i was like they're like yeah you could just grab whatever you want and i'm like it felt like i was stealing yeah you know wow, like right? it's yeah. like a grocery yeah. store it's not even the, like it's not even the cheap stuff it's like wow full rack yeah, and like beef jerky yeah and, like yeah like, we had a good one at it too yeah but it was yeah, it was pretty impressive. Well, and it's there's one on each floor, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, there's a pantry. On. <laughs> That's the other. There's thing. a pantry on every floor. It's developer fuel, is... man. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> well, like, no, you know that that got that that got born from the fact that like when I get in the zone, like I I just forget about the rest of the world, and like I'll sometimes I'll be like focusing in the zone, and like I'll just all of a sudden I'm like I just start I'm doubled over in pain. I'm like, what the Oh, I haven't gone to the bathroom in like 14 hours. I don't know, why do I hurt so much? And I'm, I'm starving to death, you know? And it's like, but I don't want to stop. Okay, let me go pee. Let me go grab a few snacks. There's just food here. I can keep going, you know? And uh, yeah, and, and I'm, I'm not alone, uh, sadly. There's just, you know. Yeah. I, I got to say, I think, uh, you know, it's, it's funny, but I think that's a real gift. It's a real gift. If you are so into what you're doing that you get that focus that, that you you have to kind of tap out and remind yourself to take care. I, I mean, it sounds bad. You got to take care of yourself. But mm-hmm. I think that's a real gift if uh, you could be that focused. A person, you know, there focused. there is some. Um, I, yeah, I mean, I, I it took a long time before I even understood that you know there is like an autism spectrum, and I'm clearly on it somewhere. I've figured out, <laughs> I figured out how to socialize, yeah. so I think, I think I'm we all are. Fooled, but yeah, I'm like super autistic. Um, I'm, yeah. I, I mean, I, it's a spectrum. I'm. I'm probably super deep now. you're somewhere i think a lot of us are yeah, right i think there's I know what you're talking about it. and it's so weird you know because like i i think that's one like the best thing that our producers can do now it's like the most valuable job producers have is checking up on us and making sure we're ta- like we were watered yeah, and yeah. fed and that we've yeah that we've, yeah that we've been <laughs> we've had a bathroom break because we'll just go you know and it's not like there's yeah. no man like there was never any man they're making me crunch. I, that's just my natural state, you know? So. Yeah. Yeah. We, we've talked about this uh, a, a bit as well, just like when we were all working from home. And I don't know if you – are you guys still like hybrid working from we're, home? We're hybrid. We're hybrid. Yeah. And I think at HQ, about 20% of us come into the office all the time. About 50% of us will come in a couple times a week. Um, but about yeah. uh, about a 25% of us never come in anymore. So yeah. we're super hybrid. Mm. Yeah, that well, that that a that's cool. that's cool, and b the thing that we that we were always kind of struggling with is just like if you're if you're working from home, you don't have that, you know, like transition from office to home yeah. to remind you to go do something else. <laughs> and so yeah. we would we'd yeah. have people that were burning out, and we wouldn't witness it. You know, it'd be a yeah. lot harder to 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 take care of people that and, way. And, and sometimes yeah. it's the, the problem you're trying to solve or the thing you're trying to make that'll keep you going. But sometimes it's a game. Like I, I'm 
currently, I, I screwed myself. I'm currently working on zero hours of sleep right now because I started playing with the um, space exploration mod of Factorio. I'm not sure if you've played this game. But yeah, I have Factorio. I, I, there's a there's a SpaceX mod. Yeah, and I did. I on Sunday, I'm like, oh, this, I'm going to do this today, and I I realized when the sun had come up that I just forgot what the hell. <laughs> wow, was going on. that game is so good, though. It does that. That game is so good. I did 16 and a half hours straight in my gaming chair uh, playing that game. Wow, I had no. no idea. I had no idea. And then, yeah, that's a good game. Though. Yeah, it, you know, it's it perf it's perfect for my kind of OCD. <laughs> Let me tell you that. <laughs> hey, if you ever want to, if you ever want to play, if you want to join in, there's a Gearbox group. We we we. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, we got a bunch of guys. Yeah, send me an email if you want to jump jump in with us because it's really okay. fun. Okay. Yeah, I, I got to build up to it. I'll build okay. up to it. and I will totally join. Tutorial. We, we, awesome. we, 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 oh, I did the tutorial. Okay, we accept news. Yeah. We accept news. It's cool. <laughs> yeah, it's really good. Yeah. Well, I was going to ask you, beyond this podcast, what are you up to, dude? <laughs> what are you doing? Can I interview you? <laughs> yes, absolutely. Of course. Um, I got a couple, two tree things cooking. Uh, Aaron and I are we're we're involved in a another project that's not a podcast uh, with a few folks from the studio, and uh, cool. I got a couple other things. Thinking about in the in the video game space, still very early. Yeah, right on, right on. But sometime, you know, Randy, if we want to go grab a beer, I can give you the deets. All right, I'll uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll get a Shirley Temple. <laughs> a Shirley? Oh, you're not drinking? That's, you know what? I've never tasted alcohol in my life. That's awesome, dude. Oh, I didn't. That's know that. amazing. Yeah. My, okay. My, let's do, let's good. go to let's go get a coffee or a smoothie then. My, my wife owns a, no. my my wife owns a bar. <laughs> <laughs> that's actually a good thing you're I like safe I don't, I don't drink coffee either. my wife owns a coffee shop it's, i don't know what she's trying to do. <laughs> okay because i, I said coffee because i've seen on your socials the like the the like the is that like um 3d printed latte art yeah yeah i and i put it for me i put it on hot chocolate but but yeah there's um uh, okay. it's not 3d printed it's a, it's a coffee printer it's just israeli it's coffee company printer. Called, called ripples and you could print mm. on liquid like you print on the foam on the top of a coffee or hot chocolate or you could print on the foam on the top of a cocktail or a beer and so christy was like an early adopter of this technology and it's kind of like you know people like taking selfies with the you know you can put like, you can send amazing. whatever photo you want what's cool is if you go with somebody that doesn't know that this exists and you can like you know when they order a latte and then it comes and you 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 know, you've sent ahead the, the photo, so their their own picture or something is on the or, or you know that's so cool. Or like, I, I, that's we, like the cake we, thing, we right? For, we use it for magic, you know. Like, think of a card. What, what card are you thinking of? And then the last. Oh, that's a good reveal. It's on their cup. There's a TV show called The Carbonaro Effect, and uh, it's about a guy named Michael Carbonaro who does pranks on people using magic. Um, it's like a reality. TV show yeah. uses magic to, to mess with people, and they there's an episode where that trick is done, and it's Christie's gear, and she went she went up and helped them uh, use that stuff to, to to fool people. It it's a great show, by the way. If you ever you can like check out YouTube we'll clips. Check that out. It's really yeah. really fun. Yeah, he really messes with cool. people. It's great. Uh, Aaron wants to hear all about magic, magic castle. Your yeah. you as well, a magician. What do you want to know? Uh, 
You want to you want to know all the secrets? I performed in the castle once. What? What'd you do? So I I went to not really, but I was like, <laughs> <laughs> let me explain. Because I can. No 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 no. So I went on. Uh, I used to go all the time. I was at a club actually, a magic club Which that one? would meet up there as well. Which the one? LAFCM. Oh yeah. Okay. LAFCM. Yeah. yeah. So we'd meet in the basement sometimes, but we went to. Um, one time, I went with my friends, like with a group, big group of friends, and it was kind of a. It was we got there early, and it was a little empty, and I went fully loaded, like every yeah. pocket. How deep are you? I was yeah. like, <laughs> how deep are you? You carrying five, five <laughs> cards on you? Yeah, I had like signed cards and everything, gimmicks, and and we went into one of the rooms that was empty because you know it was still early. Everyone hadn't showed up, and I just like, hey, y'all want to see some card tricks? And I just started performing there, like as a total. Yeah, man. dude, that's it was impromptu awesome. magic. That's part of why the place is there, you know, that's how that's how yeah. the next generation gets created is uh, working down in the cellar, just finding some people and fucking them up. Yeah, it was <laughs> awesome, dude. It was so good. <laughs> Yeah, no, I love that. You place. know, I, I I've never done any drugs or smoked anything or t- or drank any alcohol, but magic. You want to get fucked up? Performing it, yeah. You, <laughs> you watch some good magic. That'll fuck your shit up. Yeah. <laughs> how how long have you been too. performing? Magic? I mean, pre- pretty much my whole adult life, and pro- before that, I my my mom uh, brought uh, me a magic kit that. I got as a Christmas gift when I was seven years old and it was, the oh, most, yeah. and she clearly didn't open it and look inside because she would have been <laughs> because I, I opened it and it was, I was really astonished at how well I, like there were only a couple of props missing. I kept everything in intact and where it was supposed to go. But there was a sign that I'd made that was inside and it was my, it was my old, like seven year old handwriting. It was terrible. And it said, uh, it said going out of business, uh, and then underneath it said, no one would pay attention. <laughs> it's the saddest <laughs> thing ever. It's the saddest what? thing ever. Uh, I, I wrote a little joke. It said, no one would pay attention. And then in parentheses, I, I wrote, or my ticket price. Um, <laughs> I, wasn't, I wasn't charging for tickets. I just wanted my- But now you own the Magic Castle. I, like, I come just on. wanted my parents to watch the magic I would practice and rehearse in the, the show that I wanted to yeah. put on for them. And they couldn't be bothered. They couldn't be bothered. Yeah. Uh, yeah. My mom's the same way. Like, you start forcing card tricks on people. <laughs> it's but, the, uh, the great thing about the Magic Castle is everyone there really wants to see magic. Yeah, yeah. There's a reason why they're it's there. It's awesome. So it's, yeah, it's an incredible yeah. place. I mean, it's... It's it is a wonderful I, place. I think yeah. I owe everything to the Magic Castle. I think that place made me. When I was, you know, before I became a game developer, I was just a hobbyist uh, before I was a pro, and I was paying my way through college as a magician. And I would spend every night I could at the Magic Castle, and everything I know about entertainment, I learned there. And I've applied yeah. it to everything. So, you know, to me, yeah. acquiring the Magic Castle wasn't about owning it it was about protecting it um Mm -hmm. it it was about repaying a debt that i'll never repay uh i'll never be able to repay you know the 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 place is just this unbelievable magical place with this incredible history and it's been there for 60 years and um uh the the building's been there for a hundred for over a hundred and the magic castle's been there as the magic castle for 60 of those years and um 
the real estate was owned by a family that um, that was the des descendant of a Texas oil man who owned most of Hollywood. And the Texas oil man did a handshake deal with a young magician named Milt Larson who wanted to fulfill his father's dream of creating a clubhouse for the Academy of Magical Arts. And they did a handshake deal, and Milt would uses blood, sweat, and tears to restore the, 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 this mansion and turn it into the Magic Castle and, uh, and, and, and set up a cash register at the bar and give this uh, Texas oil man a piece, of the, a piece of the action when people came to enjoy the club. And, uh, and that handshake deal governed everything for decades. Uh, and then he passed, and, the, and, his, and the, 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 the descendants had control and uh, things were fine for a while, but the pandemic really, I think, messed with things, yeah. affected the re affected everybody's yeah. revenue streams. And, and so they were entertaining offers, and they got an offer from a developer who had a plan to build condos and apartments on that oh, very, no. very premium real estate in Hollywood. And that, yeah. that would have been the end of the Magic Castle. And um, you the, saved it. The, the universe picked me. So it's yeah. it's like another one of those stories, like Duke Nukem. It's another one of those stories. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm the only it's ambulance like on the road. <laughs> Why yep. weren't you there for industrial toys, dude? What happened? <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, you kept driving, on, Randy. Hold on, on, I was, did you I go? I was in a different yeah. road. I was in a different state. <laughs> so let me ask you a question about the Magic Castle. Um, I can't save everything. The uh, did, did you – I actually – I went to Magic Live and I think I saw you. There oh, cool, yeah. Just before the oh, pandemic. You're in it, dude. You're going to conventions. You're, you're working. Oh, you're yeah, working, yeah. You're working in the cellar. Like you're doing shit. We should – we should, session, <laughs> yeah. we should session. Yeah. Okay. Let me. I'm a little rusty. I've been doing mostly cardistry since the matter. pandemic because I used to try to perform it at our happy hours. You know, like skills don't matter. It's, it's, the, it's the thinking that matters. Yeah. You can session with no skill. Are you are you, are you performing any in Dallas? Like, is there like a um, place? To yeah. Perform? So I have a private theater in Dallas called the Peacock Theater, and we do. Before the pandemic, we were doing a couple shows a month, and um, and I usually do a bit in the show and. Um, a couple months ago, I actually, you know, because for a long time, Jack Goldfinger, who is the entertainment director at the Magic Castle, was like, Randy, when are you going to come and work a week at the castle? I'm like, <laughs> I, you know, back before the pandemic, I couldn't afford to spend a week away from work, you know. Um, but with this new world, I can do most of my job from anywhere in the world. So I'm like, okay, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put something together. So I went out a couple months ago and I, I, I booked a, a gig uh, in Hilton Head, Island, uh, which is you know off the coast of the Carolinas, and there's a club called the Magic, the Comedy Magic Cabaret, and I and I and I, I booked a gig to work a week there. I did I did seventy minutes a night. I was, wow, I was that's awesome. yeah yeah real real deal, and I'm doing it again in May. Uh, no, or, or where June, at? or June? I don't know, but he's he'll, he'll promote it. I don't want anybody to go looking for me. I want just like. Like I yeah, I, just show up. When I show up, nobody knows who the fuck I am. It's just a bunch of it's a bunch <laughs> yeah, of tourists that are wanting yeah. to see a magic show, and I'm like, that's that's perfect. Yeah, no expectations. That's awesome. That's cool. Just a guy doing magic. That, that and, is yeah, that is so cool, Randy. It's so fun. What's that? How I said that's so cool. I how how much how much prep goes into seventy minutes of material. Well, for, fortunately, I I have a, a a pretty big catalog. Like, there's still things 
from back in the day that when I was when I was a pro before I became a game developer that I that I just sort of kept with me and I still do and I some of it I've gotten better at some of it I've gotten worse at um, and then you know I also do this the Penny Arcade Expo it's kind of become tradition for me to do ten minutes uh, at the during the main theater show that we do there and uh, and and every time I have to do something different so I've got this catalog of material. And, uh, and then I also do all this stuff at the Peacock Theater. So I've got, I probably have five hours of workable material um, that yeah, I could use. Okay. And, and so the, the, the prep was figuring out which 70 minutes was I going to go got in. Got it. Yeah. Uh, what, what, to, what to not do. That was the prep. And I, I, <laughs> I, I kind of did the whole show. I call it my nerd show because it's all like nerdy topics and nerdy shit. And like, you know, I do this bit where I, I, I have a, I mean, a lot of magicians have a routine like this, but I, I have my own Rubik's Cube routine that's pretty good. And, oh, yeah, that's awesome. And, and, yeah, I love that. I start, I start um, the first time, my first version of it, I would uh, solve the cube blindfolded. I'd have the audience mix it up and then I'd solve it blindfolded uh, to music. And my conceit was, you know, when I was a kid and in the, in the 80s growing up, I would spend every summer with my parents and we'd go up and spend two weeks up in the Poconos camping. I'm a nerd. I hate camping. I need my video games. <laughs> I need my technology. And the only thing I had for two weeks was this Rubik's Cube and the Sony, the Sony Walkman. And unfortunately, I had a single cassette tape with a single song. So I listened to that song over and over and over and over again. But by the end of the two weeks, I'd figured out how, I could, how to solve the Rubik's Cube. Unfortunately, I can only solve it if I'm listening to that song. That's so, awesome. <laughs> that's so good. And it's, and it's the go-go head over heels, you know? So and then like, I always feel like, no, my, 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 my left brain is working on the cube. My right brain is jiving to the music, and they're not talking to each other. So just anything you just ignore it if it looks stupid. So I'm like blindfolded solving the cube, and I'm, I'm dancing like Belinda Carlisle on stage, you know, to the go-go's music. It's it's ridiculous. So I, I stopped doing that because cool. I got too old to dance like that. So, <laughs> so now what I'll do is I'll I'll invite somebody on. I'll have I'll pass the cube around and have them mix it up and keep passing it around. And then wherever it like stops, I whoever it's on, I invite them to come up on stage, and uh, and I, I have a conversation with them while I'm solving the cube. And I just solve it, no blindfold, just visibly, so people can see what it looks like to see a cube solved. And it's it's legit. There's no magic. And then I uh, ask them to mix up the cube and I get a second cube out and I'm mixing mine behind my back and they're mixing theirs behind their back. And then when they take it out, the cubes match. I have them mix to the exact scramble, which is like, whoa. And then, yeah. and then I ask her if she, or him or whoever it is if they've ever solved one and if they'd like to feel what it's like to solve it magically. And so we take the mixed cube and I hand it to them behind their back and, I, and they're, they're turning it behind their back so the audience can't see and they can't see. And it seems impossible. And I play like Eye of the Tiger. You know, so it's... And they're like mixing... Yeah. And they're just like mixing the cube behind their back while the music's playing. And then after you know, a bit of that... I said, okay, close your eyes. On the count of three, you're going to hold the cube up. Don't look at it. Show the audience first. Feel their reaction. And then, uh, and then I'll, I'll ask you to open your eyes, and then you can see what, what they see. And so they close their eyes, want to do, they hold it up, and the cube is solved. 
And then, so the audience is reacting to the fact because it's impossible. Like she's mixing it behind her back, and it comes out strong. Yeah, yeah. It's fucking, it's magic. And then, uh, and then when she looks at her, he looks at it. They can't believe it because they're the ones. They like they did it. I never yeah, yeah. It. And so they, and then there's so I get two reactions out of the same effect. It's pretty good. I do this other thing um, where I. I've awesome. memorized I've memorized the first ten thousand digits of the irrational number pi. Oh, wow. I know. It's don't yeah. <laughs> don't and it's there's no way to do real shit like that without basically like I'm better than you, fuck off. Like, you know, like you I'm smarter than you, deal with it. And I hate that, like I want to be humble, right? So I tell I, I start that one saying, Look, here there's an interesting thing about the human brains. As as an as a magician and as an entertainer, I've studied the brain a lot and I've learned that you know, we all actually have about the same number of neurons and neurons are what make us powerful, what make us smart. And, and in, it turns out that a neuron is a multi-purpose processor. It can either be a decision gate or it can store a piece of information like on or off, like a, like a bit of, of information, mm-hmm. or it can be a decision gate, you know, forward or not. Um, and, uh, and it turns out that uh, the, the neuron can be used for either purpose and every neuron that we use for memory cannot be used for decision making. So what that means is the more pi I memorize, the stupider I get. Right. So like, so that's how I get away with it. Um, uh, and then, and then I, I, I don't think that's true, Ray. I know. It's, I don't but think it's, that's bullshit true. That, it's bullshit that makes me feel like I'm not being an asshole uh, showing it, off. What do you mean? It's, it's, when, it no, it sounds totally logical. But see, hold on. <laughs> I don't right, but see the thing is is right now right now People he's playing it. us. Great. He could be playing it us. It doesn't matter if it's true, it just has to make sense, right? <laughs> Right, but see, it's kind of like you're. This is how magicians play people too. Yes, they'll tell you something crazy. Yeah, and like start to like, yeah, like beat around the bush with it. Yeah. and it's a trick. <laughs> and then the you just buzz up. It's all bullshit. That's the thing about being yeah. We're going. To I'm just. I'm game. eating it up. I don't know what you guys are yeah. talking about. Yeah, this me too. Awesome. It's it's the best. So I do a few. I do a few tests <laughs> with that. Like I, I I pass out. Everybody in the audience gets a copy of, of a book that's got ten thousand digits of pi. I ask somebody to, to pick a page number and I can tell them all the digits on that page. I'll ask someone else to start somewhere in the sequence and give me a few digits. So like, you know, in, yeah. when, you, when you memorize sequences, you can keep going, right? Like if I say L-M-N-O, you know the next mm-hmm. letter is P because you have the alpha, yeah. you have the sequence of the alphabet. Yeah. So I have them tell me a few numbers from a random page. Like I don't even know what page number. They just pick somewhere, start with numbers, and then I pick up once I pick up the sequence, I just keep rattling it off. And that's pretty amazing, especially when I start having to turn the page to keep up. Um, and then uh, and uh, the other thing I do is I, I open with like this like pi is a beautiful number. Like it's it's infinite and the numbers never repeat. And all information could be boiled down to numbers, right? So if you think of like a picture represented in numerical form, like the first pixel could be represented by its position in RBG value. And you could, with enough numbers, you could describe any sized image. And with enough numbers, yep. you could describe a, a video or a movie or a three-dimensional mm-hmm. space or sound or literally anything, which means that the first picture anyone's ever seen in their lives is somewhere embedded in Pi. The last picture we'll see before we die is in Pi. Every movie yeah. that's ever been made or every will ever will be made is already in Pi somewhere. Uh, uh, in fact, um, every video game that I haven't even made yet is in Pi, which if I could find it, I could just retire. Uh, 
Um, Copy paste. Right. But, but, you know, so that's the premise, right? So I do that and then, and then I do all the, the demonstrations. And the last one, uh, we'll do somebody's birthday or they can pick a date that's special to them and I'll tell them where to find that in the sequence. And, uh, and oh, it's wow. pretty, it's pretty, it makes it personal. It's pretty cool. Like, that know, is cool. Yeah. But I, you know, a bunch of nerds like that. Yeah. I mean, I was going to ask you, but I can see just you telling those few stories, the connection between what you've gotten from magic and what you bring to video games is really it. Like it's entertaining. It's, those you know, those it's, three stories are exceptionally entertaining. <laughs> thanks man. The, the mediums are very similar, except one's a lot. Mm-hmm. One's, best as a live medium in my opinion and the other is best you know it's a digital medium so you, you have to you need technology to experience it but um and, and that's not always true i've seen some very good magic that's you know been on non-live mediums but i think it's i i like it best when it's live but other than that yeah. they're very similar dude i mean you know alex we we ask our audience we make a deal with our audience which is like hey come along with me follow my rules play along and we'll, I'll lead you along. But if you come with me and play along, there's going to be a payoff for you. I'm going to give you something. You know, in a video game, it tends to be like gratification. It tends to be um, a, a sense of accomplishment. You know, in magic, it's surprise and delight, a little bit of wonder, you know. But we make that deal with them, and, and we have to make that deal fast. And if, and if they trust us, they will come along. And if we pay them off for having spent their time with us, they'll, wanna, they'll, yep. they'll appreciate they'll that come and come back, back for more. Yeah. And, and right. the thing I like about magic and the reason why I still perform it is because I get the feedback loop instantaneously. You can feel yeah. the audience while you're doing it. Whereas in a video game, we could work for years and then the feedback loop yep. is delayed black. Like months after we've put our pencils down, we'll maybe get the yeah. feedback that's super indirect. Yep. And like, yeah. you know, and I, I, I've never really gotten much out of critic. You know, so how do you, what metrics do you even use? You know, to determine yeah. if you've entertained someone or not, and and it's really that's, it's, a, that's it's a really good point. We're we're getting a, 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 a it's very different, but we're getting a little taste of that with the podcast because you know it's it's a week. We 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 spend yeah yeah it's yeah. a week How are and we, we put something right out. There's no live audience yeah. watching us. We could be boring the <laughs> shit out of everybody. No, this isn't boring. We have no idea. We'll have no idea. <laughs> Next week, it's a though. good risk, but that's like magic too, though, because magic you 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 risk. You are like you risk your like it is. You're doing a move where they might see yeah, how you did yeah. it. Like it's if, very if, like if you're putting yourself you, out if there. They catch you. It's not yeah. magic anymore. It's a lecture. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> have you ever had a, like uh, what what's, what's like the? Have you ever had any disasters performing live? My favorite thing in the world. My favorite thing in the world is when shit goes wrong. Because then, or like a heckler? No, no. I mean, hecklers, whatever. I, I don't. That's more a comic play. But for me, it's like when I made mistakes, or I'm doing things aren't going right, or something unexpected happened, and I have to adapt to it. Yeah. Because then I'm awake. Yeah. And then I'm alive, and I've got to figure out how to get out of that, so the audience has like no fucking idea. See, yeah. I, I had a huge one at PAX, uh, like one or two times, a couple of times ago. I was doing. I was at three thousand people, main theater stage, and I had this. The, the setup was I was I was doing a bit like one of the things they do at Penny Arcade Expo is I try to use I try to use the stuff that's going on with us at Gearbox as the as the conceit or the props right so uh, this uh, this game Bunkers and Badasses came out as a real game Bunkers and Badasses is the fictional Dungeons and Dragons game that Tiny Tina plays in Borderlands 
Um, and, um, and it was a conceit for one of the DLCs. They're playing Bunkers and Badasses. It was called Tiny Tina's Assault on Dragon's Keep. And we ended up spinning that off into a whole new game called Tiny Tina's Wonderlands. But the conceit is she's playing a role-playing game and she's the, she's the unreliable narrator of this Dungeons and Dragons kind of style experience, but it's in this fantasy universe of the Borderlands, right? So it's really weird and, and, and kind of fun. So, so we, the, uh, uh, Nerdvana Games made a real version of Bunkers and Badasses. You can like get it, and it's amazing. They, they killed it. Probably my favorite like piece of uh, physical ancillary work that a licensee's ever done with the Borderlands, or sorry, with any Gearbox IP, was this Bunkers and Badasses board game. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to use this as props. And so I went out there and I said, you know, when I, when I was younger, I used to play Dungeons and Dragons all the time, and I had the skill... And I, I don't, at first it was just because I knew my friends so much. I knew exactly which characters they would each choose to play. And then I got so good at it that strangers could be invited to the game and I could just pick it out immediately. I knew which character they would play in the role-playing game. And, uh, and it's been a while since I've done this, but let's try it tonight. So I invited a bunch of people, up on, I think I invited three people on, up on stage and I had all these miniatures uh, that were um, that are from the actual board game, all the all the hero miniatures, and there were like twelve of them, and they're all the characters from Borderlands, and uh, and then we had a cosplayer like with the DM screen to hide uh, a giant inflatable <laughs> D20s that I threw out in the audience to pick who was coming up, and then they rolled the D20s for initiative, right? So they rolled the D20s. And there were three different numbers, and that was going to be the order that they picked. And I wrote the numbers and their names down on a chalkboard, and I set it on the on the table. And it was this, the same chalkboard I used earlier to give a shift code out. So I like erased the shift code and, and wrote that hastily. And and I acted like like oh I need something. I'll forget your names. I'll forget what number you rolled. So I, oh, you know what? I'll just use the chalkboard I used earlier for the shift code. So I erased the shift code. I wrote the not the initiative numbers and their names. And, uh, and set it down, and then uh, and then they picked an order, and they went behind the DM screen. I was on the other side of the stage, and they, they grabbed a miniature, and they held it in their hand, and then I'd look at them, and it's uh, you picked one of the male characters, right? And they're like, no. It's like, ah. Oh. And I just, and I, I missed all three. And I had a method. When I designed the trick, I was supposed to hit all three, and I missed all three. And I'm like, oh, shit, how do I save this? But now I knew the information. And I, so then I said, you know what? I lied to you guys earlier. I said that I had the ability to to uh, to guess, but but the truth is, it's not mind reading. It's actually uh, future sight. Earlier, when I told you I was writing the initiative numbers and their names, I actually didn't write their names on the chalkboard. I wrote the characters they'd pick, and then I showed the chalkboard and I had it written on there. And I can't. I'm not going to tell you how <laughs> I did. If you want to watch it. I, <laughs> I, is it online? Not only did I fool everybody in the audience, I fooled all my magician friends because nobody saw that coming. Because the thing I'd planned to do, I fucked up, and I had to call an audible and figure something else out. And uh, <laughs> that's yeah, awesome. Was, is it online? Awesome. Can I watch yeah, that performance I online? I think you can find it. Um, Penny Arcade Expo. Um, just if you search for me doing magic, I think it was within the last few years. I think it was Paxi's last year or the year before. All right, Randy. Um, man, we could we could we could listen to you for literally all day. Like well, we, yeah. didn't even talk, we didn't talk <laughs> we about the movie. Started. I wanted to ask you about this was you an have appetizer. a charity thing going. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Gearbox We just announced that. Yeah, we did. Yeah, I'll do, I mean, it started because like we 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 do this stuff and we don't really. 
like we, we realized we should have a foundation to do it through because like we, we I, I invested in, in the citizen science thing that we did called um, Borderland Science. And it turned out to be the most successful citizen science program like ever, like tens of millions of like, and it's, and it's, uh, we're using, we made this mini game that um, uses data from the Microseta Institute's uh, initiative to try to uh, map the genome of the, the human gut microbes. And there's just too much data for the scientists and the data's, the data's got some problems with it. So we, by making this, it's kind of almost like a Tetris-like video game, but we're basically just asking people to fix the sequences and, and yeah. give them a score and, and reward them for doing it. And, we, and it's kind of fun to play. It's, it, once you realize what's going on there, there's, it's, just, it's like you get in a flow state and you just end up doing like 100 or 200 puzzles. And, um, uh, and, and it just worked. And we put it in, we patched it into Borderlands 3 and it's like changed everything for citizen science now. And it showed, that, it showed that, that is awesome. Can, yeah. So that, so that, and then like, you know, during the pandemic, we, we made some, um, heads and skins that were like face masks and we sold them and we gave all the money to, uh, to a charity that was doing, um, like PPE back when it was hard to get masks, uh, for yeah, all the front, frontline workers. Um, you yeah. know, and we, we, we raised a huge amount cause people love buying this stuff for, for the heads and skins for Borderlands. We just 100% just passed through and gave it to the, to the charity. And they, they I mean, they, they hooked up tens of thousands of, uh, of, um, of frontline workers to, with, with, with masks and PPE, uh, personal protective equipment from that, for that event. And it's like, okay, so we, let's, let's formalize this and let's like, you know, and I've got this guy, Aaron, is doing like all this incredible work with education. Not me. Yeah. So I, I thought <laughs> it'd be cool. Aaron. And, and Aaron, Aaron was cool to step up. And, you know, uh, Dan Hewitt, who used to run the E3, um, he's, you know, been a Gearbox guy for a few years now. Um, he, he thought it would be a good initiative. So he kind of got behind helping get it organized. And it's doing it. It's a thing. That, it's a that's thing. That's awesome. So we'll, we'll see. We got, we got plenty Okay, can we ask you a reader question, a listener question? Yeah, we don't have readers, yeah. we have listeners. All right, so, um, hey, listeners, if you'd like to submit a question for a future podcast episode, please head up our Discord. Uh, but today we're going to ask Randy a question that came from one of our uh, Discord members. This one, this one's like maybe this one might be the controversial one. So if you if you don't want to oh, answer, so you can pass, I'll, I'll and I'll get to blame it on a user. Let's do it. <laughs> All right. Hit me with okay, so how did, here you go. How does Randy feel about the leaked 2001 build of Duke Nukem Forever and the fan attempts of its restoration? Um, look, man, people are going to do stuff. Um, there, I, I feel like there's this myth that there was a game, uh, and uh, you know, I think I think I think whatever was leaked kind of showed that there was some work for sure, but it wasn't a game. Um, mm. uh, and that's cool. I mean, it's fun to look at. It's like archaeology, you know? Um, <laughs> yeah. and I, you know, I, I have a dream that I've been beating the drum on for a long time that uh, something can be assembled that's like sort of the full anthology, which includes snapshots and all that stuff. Like the problem is it's like, None of that stuff is really good as like customer facing stuff, but there's got to be like almost a museum like approach where we can sort of spelunk into that history and look at it for those that are still passionate and interested in it. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, there's people at Gearbox that worked on Duke Nukem Forever for 10, 15 years because uh, they were yeah. in 3D Realms that whole time. And then they came, yeah. to, came to Gearbox and that's a huge part of their lives. And for some of them, some of that stuff they're proud of and, and could feel good about the world seeing. For others, it's like really sore and raw. And, you know, I care about I care about my team more than any anything else on the planet, and so I think I think the wishes of the the people that live through it are probably the most important. Um, but uh, you know, it's, we're all just we're all just in this together, baby. And I get how we yep. can as as someone who's far on the spectrum, I get how we can be obsessed with a thing. And yeah, uh, yeah, seeing that seeing those trailers from '99 and 2001. I know made a lot of people very obsessed and that never came to be. And that's, that's yeah. weird to deal. With. It's hard to deal with that. Are there any plans for, I don't know if you could talk about any, any future plans for the franchise? Yeah. I mean, we've got, a we did a deal that was announced, I think with uh, legendary entertainment uh, to make a Duke Nukem movie. And, um, and that we're in development on that right now. And I think that, I think that a vehicle like that is a great place to sort of cleanse the palette on the IP that can pave the way for a lot of different video games. And we do, there are some interactive things in various stages of development. Um, but I think that if we were to show up or anybody were to show up with a big AAA Duke Nukem video game and it didn't work, that would kill the franchise. I also think that if someone were to show up with not like a, like not a big triple A game that actually brought something to the table, but like compromised rehashes, I think that also could injure the franchise. Um, but I think that there can be some things that we're working on that can that could be entertainment in themselves, but also affect the context of Duke Nukem in, in, in today's marketplace such that it can enable other attempts to be made where not, no yeah. other attempts will wreck or like things aren't make or break. If you have, if you have sort of a foundation to build on, if that makes sense. No, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. And you, and you know what I'm talking about, Alex, cause you've been, you've been at those levels, but it's really difficult, you know, for, you know, as a, if I'm just a lay gamer, I don't, I don't understand the machinations of business or marketplaces. I don't understand the human capital necessary to build AAA video games. I just want something cool that I love, you know? And yeah, and it's, it's really difficult to kind of relate back and forth, but I'm pretty confident that all of the minds at Gearbox that are people that have been with Duke Nukem from the very beginning uh, that, that you know include people that care. I mean, I feel like I owe Duke Nukem my career. You know, you know, I'm just one guy. Um, there, there's a lot of care and love to make sure we do it right and don't you know don't squander that. And I think that's important yeah. that we that we think about it that way. Yeah. No, I I, I could totally understand that. It's like there's so much potential, um, but uh, you know, in, in today's world, it's like making anything that's of at that at at that level is very expensive. It requires the effort of a lot of people and it's very hit driven. You kind of got to get it right. So I think that's really yeah. smart. If you people have the care. folks, that, yeah, if you have the people involved who really care and understand the, the property, uh, then, then that's, uh, that, that sounds like the way forward. 
Yeah. Yeah. And the audience yeah, cares too, I right? Think, and I think that um, the latent audience, as demonstrated by the, you know, you know, when we published the, when we published Duke Nukem Forever by 3D Realms, like there was a lot of really important lessons there. I mean, that was, that was the culmination of 3D Realms working on that for 15 years and the world rejected it. Um, yeah. And I think, I think it's because where it thought it was innovating, it was taking a step backwards from what the audience wanted and where it failed to innovate, like it, it didn't, it didn't earn anything for it. I, you know, I'm not objective at all, but I, I remember when, when George first showed me that build, you know, before we did the deal where we were going to step in front of the bullet and take, take on uh, take two's lawsuit and, and help him bail him out for that litigation. Um, I loved it. Like I couldn't believe it. Like I, I, I was expecting just a complete, like I know how hard it is to make software. And the fact that there was that, like, whoa, like that it completely surprised me because I assumed that, I don't know if assumed is the right word. I imagined that what was actually going on was just a complete unmitigated disaster. And there was a fun, you know, the fun thing there. Um, it didn't invent where it should have. And, you know, it did, it made it made some simple compromises that it never should have made from what we want from Duke Nukem. But it also was like a super honest and sincere Duke Nukem story that felt like the right mm -hmm. story for that character. If that, where we'd left him carried on. Um, now, whether that is what the world wanted and needed is a whole different thing for debate, but I, I didn't write it. You know, I, I thought my yeah. duty in that job was to preserve the intent of the artists. And we had a lot of debate within Gearbox. There were people coming to me and it's like, we can't let this ship like, like, do you see what he, you know, what he says here or what happens to these characters there? Like, this is like, it's, we're, we're in the 2000s now. This is not acceptable by today's standards. And I'm like, hey, this is artist's work. I'm not, I'm not going to interview you in the same way. I'm not going to mess with your shit. Um, and uh, maybe that was the wrong call. Maybe I should have. But um, Yeah. I, I, a lot of this industry is about setting – you set expectations, then you deliver something that hopefully exceeds those expectations. And yeah. it sounds like when you got your hands on the build, you your expectations were here, and you were like, hey, this is better than I was expecting. But an audience had been sitting around. Yeah. Your audience expectation was this will be the best game ever made. Super high. Super yeah. high. It's like they've been waiting 15 years. And like, this is going to yeah. be the amazing. Yeah. They, they, yeah. They, and, and the other thing that happened, too, we made a really good trailer um, when we came out of the dark. And it was the most viewed video game trailer that year. Like, it beat Call of Duty's trailer. Like, and so, <laughs> so take two. Like, my, my, pitch, my pitch to the label was, look. We should sell this thing for 20 bucks and we should put it in a brown paper bag wrap packaging and call it a bootleg edition and say like, this is something people should never have seen. And it's just a miracle. It's running at all. Did he cut out? And we're not going to charge you a lot for it, but you deserve to have it. And because that trailer exploded, they're just like, let's go all the freaking way. You know, they went full super premium on the price and, but there was no, there was no living up to the expectations yeah, that George yeah. and Scott were trying to set. Like they're, they were, they were, they were selling for 15 years. They saw this was going to be the, yeah. the greatest yeah, video game ever made. When I played it, I but, had a real because it did have in, not innovative, well, maybe innovative is the word. Like it had stuff that was next gen. Had it come out when they were making it, so by the time it came out, it was like, oh, I've seen, <laughs> you know what I mean. So 
It, so I, I ex, like I, when I oh, if it came if it came out a decade earlier, that would have been yeah. But that's that's how I felt, and that was kind of why I was like okay with it, or you know what I mean. Like I I understood. All right, Randy kept you for like an hour twenty. Um, you got to come on again, dude. Job to do. Yeah, and you got to come on again. Just, I'm I, like I'm laser focused. This is all we're doing until somebody pulls me. <laughs> no, there's so much more to talk about. You're you're the best. Awesome. Hey, well, yeah, thanks for having totally me, best. Alex. Nice talking to you. Yeah. And Thank you so much, Randy. Yeah, it's been a blast. It's been a lot of fun. Cheers. Nice meeting you, Randy. And can I start the post with some corrections? Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> like we did last time. This is all I'm going to say right away. Last time I started saying the corrections, and then I waited like 10 minutes. It's like, oh, my goodness. Will you just say the freaking corrections? First correction. Um, this is from a previous episode. Kyle, he's not, he wasn't – I think it was from the, uh, the Patrick episode. He worked on Octodad, right? Uh, was that the correction? Dude, you can't get the correction wrong. That's fun. That's the whole point. This is an entertainment <laughs> podcast, Alex. <laughs> We're not fact checkers. Kyle, okay. and then it was another one. Kyle, <laughs> Kyle is not. Um, Kyle is not. Uh, uh, he was not on the Ben and Hamilton episode. I said something like, "When he was a designer, he he wasn't just a random designer. He was a pillar lead. So he was uh, he was having dinner with the uh, emperor, if you will." Um, <laughs> And lead designer, yes, okay. <laughs> so he, he was, yeah, he was a lead designer. Uh, and okay. I think there's another correction. I had Anyways, a thing to add. Um, Randy was kind enough to answer one of our listener questions that came from our Discord, and that oh, question right. was provided yeah. uh, by a username Mirzer on uh, on our Discord. And if you'd like to submit, I just said this in the episode, so it's going to be redundant. But if you want to submit a question, just hop on our Discord. Uh, we'd love to have no, you. No, I don't think we it's po- redundant. Yeah, please, some, hop on the Discord. Uh, some uh, some funny stuff in there, too, if, if uh, you want to get some nostalgic perspective on some of our past games and that kind of stuff. So as I was editing that episode, there's there's some good long stretches where Randy is – telling stories and he's uh he's just so clearly uh was born to be an entertainer he's the, such a good storyteller and it was a reminder to me of just how powerful uh that that is you know sometimes when you know we, we're in an we're we make entertainment um and games are the maybe the most complicated form of entertainment but uh, often, the you know, the businesses that I'm a part of are, are startups and they're technology focused, they're software companies. Uh, and there's a lot of things that we place value on for building those kinds of enterprises and the kind of games that we make from, um, uh, you know, edu- the, the, the education and the craft and the skill and, um, and the experience, uh, the, the, the know-how for programming the, and the artistry. But sometimes, you know, we... we we, we, I don't know that we even have the vocabulary to express the value of, of that kind of um, creative leadership and storytelling aspects. And, and, and uh, where, where I'll draw a comparison. Showmanship. Yeah, showmanship. And, that, and, that, and, and it's not just like, hey, I'm, I have an idea for a game. I'm going to write a story. But it's also like how you motivate a team. It's how you pull diverse opinions together to – you know, we call it building consensus, but it's like rallying, you know, and, and uh, I was reminded, like, I, you know, I'm, I'm not going to say that, you know, Randy is like Bob Iger, but I remember when I first met Bob Iger at Disney, 
I was just, just so blown away by just how complete of a of a package of of you know the experience, the the insight, the the knowledge, the whole business, but most most uniquely um, that like that charisma and that ability to to to, to really motivate people to follow a vision and and uh i thought that was um you know that our conversation with randy Tate just reminded me of uh that skill you know that he has yeah i don't know if you, i don't know if you felt two things the same way i do and i have two and i'm like i can't wait to just open my mouth because i'm gonna t- <laughs> i'm gonna tell you what i think about this so the first one is remember that guy there was one guy that talked about steve jobs and he had he used a term it was like some kind of ray like Steve Jobs would walk into a room and he would just get people pumped to like do stuff oh yeah the, the reality distortion field is that what you're talking about yeah <laughs> yeah that's right the reality yeah. distortion you'd, field, you'd, you'd go to one of, the, one of, of those yeah. Key, yeah those keynote things and you'd be like oh my gosh that's the future what he just said is like and that's the future know, yeah yeah, I'm in. Two weeks, Sign right. me up. Yes, right. right. Sign me up. <laughs> so that's so yeah. So he, he has like he has like a little bit of that action. But the other thing is, and it, it I didn't come out of this until later that night. Like after we like, man, I was like, man, that was an awesome podcast. Uh, I really like. I really liked him. I was like, man, he's really cool. Um, he's the kind of guy you want to hang out with. Is like the vibes I got. Like I want to hang out with that guy and um, play some games with him. And then when we started talking, like further into the conversation and the conversation ended it was a very magical conversation you know and then that's the key word magical i remember when like he was talking about some of the uh like he, he could memorize pi and things like this so this will make sense when i tell you where, where i got this from so when i started to learn magic there is this like point you get to where you take it serious you're like all right i'm gonna take this serious and when you start to take it serious, you start to interact with the world in a completely different way. And I'll give you an example. I would go into like work some days. It's a happy hour night. And this is where where I would perform the most, right, at happy hours. And I would get to work early. There'd be like maybe a few people there. Uh, and those people that are there early are usually working, right? So they have their headphones on and they're in their computer. And I'd walk through the – through. we would have our happy hours. And I'd start loading the place up, man. I'd be putting like – cards underneath stuff and like (laughs) you know what i'm saying you know and even whenever the happy hour like i'd be watching people drink and when they got enough like they're they're, like loosened up a little bit i'd slip a card into their pocket or something or like a little piece of paper with like (laughs) two of hearts and i you know and i like i'm working the whole time and it's and you're and you're you're setting the stage which is what i think what he meant by the video game thing it's like you start to set the stage for the for the world you're going to have people enter, and um, I I realize that that's what he's doing. He's like he's 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 in that mode. He's like you're going to come into my world, so he starts to world build while you're talking to him, and yeah. you know, and I think that's the showmanship, the magician. You know what I'm saying? And yeah. that and I remind they reminded me of the magic stuff. Like you start to world build when you're performing, and you know what I'm saying. And you yep, invite absolutely. people into your world, which is like a video game. Yeah. And there's rules. <laughs> there's like, you know, there's like all these things. And there's a there's a whole like, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah. A, a whole part of those the, the, the setups that he was describing was him laying down the rules, you know. 
and getting getting the mm-hmm. audience to to play along and to buy into those rules for to to earn the payoff and I definitely see the yeah. I definitely see the correlation between that kind of performance and uh, and entertaining in a video game. So I thought it was a very interesting conversation yeah. that way. And I could totally tell your excitement, energy, passion, leaning in your you know, your audio <laughs> yeah. levels in the file, like clipped many times during <laughs> during the uh, conversation because you're because you're so into magic. <laughs> yeah, and I haven't been performing much. I'm. I actually got made fun of by a friend because I started buying magic books, but just leaving them because magic books come cellophane usually. A lot of them do, not most of them. Uh, and uh, I haven't opened them because I'm doing cardistry. Because ever since the pandemic, like I would perform, I would try to perform. And when I say perform, I mean it loosely. It's like street magic, you know, um, which is a kind of performing. It's not like on a stage. And I could not wait for happy hours because I and there was people that like like Sarah was always like, hey, show me a card trick, and you know <laughs> some people cared, some people were like, oh, here we go, this guy, you know, chasing him down, got to see this card trick. <laughs> All right, uh, on that note, we will wrap for today, and looking forward to next week. Oh, I'm really looking forward to next week, actually. Yeah, you 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 yeah, really yeah. wanted to speak to this person. Yeah, you know who we got coming next week. Uh, I know. Yeah. We're not going to say so, it. We'll, actually, we'll keep it a surprise. The, it'll be on the website. Yeah, so you Look on the website. Listener, it'll be on the website. Yeah. Just Go scroll down. <laughs> there you go. Uh, all right. Thanks, everybody. Till next time. Bye, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Fourth Curtain Podcast. To get a peek at upcoming episodes or to send in questions to the show, visit our site at thefourthcurtain.com. And be sure to follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks again for listening.